You're listening to a 1FM podcast. I've got Steve on the line. How is it going, Steve? Yeah, good. Thank you, my boy. Um, I, I'm at Northcote today with my wife and we're looking after the grandkids. They're on school holiday, so they're keeping us occupied. But yeah, going all right. I'm going all right. I'm glad that the Queen has now been, finally been laid to rest and the, and the football has now been laid to rest with the best side of the season winning in the canter. It was a bit boring for a lot of us, but well done to Geelong, I must say. Yeah, they put on a clinic, and you can definitely they're a professional organisation, Geelong. They've only missed one final series in... Uh in the last decade or so, so I mean, I'm not a big fan of them, but you got it. You can't knock them. No, that's right. Yeah. Well, people who know me know that I'm not a big fan of Geelong, but you got to give credit where credit due. They've certainly done the hard yards, and they certainly made a mess of Sydney, and probably would have made a mess of most teams. I think the way they played. So yeah, good luck yeah. to them. Yeah, well, enjoy the moment and congratulations. But well, who we got today to talk about? Well, it's interesting that the person whose name I'm mentioning actually did play for Geelong, but although this is not the same person, it's Ronnie Burns. Oh, yeah, he also played for Adelaide, I believe, but yeah, not the Ronnie Burns we're talking about. No, it's not the Ronnie Burns we're talking about. I just to start off, uh, Josh, if you wouldn't mind, with a little note here. I did get in contact. I was able to find Ronnie's phone number a few weeks ago and, and gave him a ring. Unfortunately, he didn't return the call, but I thought I'd just try one more time today, and I did actually speak to his, his lovely wife, who he's been married to for 52 years. He wanted me to make sure that I mentioned that, and I said, well, I already was going to, and they've been together for a long time. Uh, actually, Ronnie's been ill for the last few weeks, and I think he was off to a hospital for another medical appointment today when I spoke to Maggie. And I thought, oh, well, that's a fair enough explanation as to why I haven't heard from him. But she gave me the OK to go ahead with the spiel. She thought that, that most of the information would be reasonably accurate and, and to go ahead and talk about it. So I was quite happy with that. So well, away we go. Well, hope he's all right, I'll just say. I did pass on my best regard to Ronnie and I said that when this would be on on a Monday and it'll be on the podcast later on. So they may or may not listen to it, but we hope we, I hope we do him justice anyway. Ronnie was born on the 8th of September 1948, raised in Elwood. His father was a butcher. I didn't get his father's name, unfortunately. And his mother, Edna, was, she was a Bordeville fan and his older brother, Frank, by five years, was a drummer. Ronnie did all those things in the early days to earn a few dollars by um, pounds, shillings and pence back then by being a paper boy and working in a milk bar and a fruit shop. And that enabled him to buy his first guitar for 10 shillings, which is the equivalent now of a dollar. He was lead singer for his brother's folk music band and joined a mod band called The Flies in early 1964. Now, this band consisted of Ronnie, who was rhythm guitar and lead singer, a fellow by the name of Femi Adams, who was a bass guitar, John Thomas lead guitar and Hank Wallace on drums. They were reputedly the first long-haired band in Australia and the concert promoter Gary Spry, who was looking for a resident group to work at his new rock club Pinocchios, he hired them and then became their manager. The band was drawing heavily on the Beatles for their musical and fashion influences. I dare say a lot of the groups were back then. And they had a repertoire which included basically covers of The Searchers, Hollies and Herman's Hermits. Enter a familiar name to us all, Ian Molly Meldrum. <laughs> I think everyone knows a Molly Meldrum, don't they? I think most of these stories about Australian artists, especially Victorian artists, will feature our friend Mr Meldrum. But it's quite interestingly enough, he actually befriended Ronnie and ended up living at Ronnie's parents' house for nine years after being supposed to be there for an initial two-week visit. <laughs> uh, wow. It sounds a bit like Molly. 
and reputedly, and now I can't verify this story, but this was in a couple of the little references that I read that Ronnie and Molly Meldrum were rejected from the Beatles' June 1964 Melbourne concert because Meldrum was screaming too loudly. <laughs> well, I, I can believe that. <laughs> yeah. I can't verify that story, but I believe it, it, it is true. So it sounds true, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. Now, he became a huge promoter of uh, Ronnie's solo career uh, via writing for Ghost, which was the teen mag back then. And he was the, which was a pop, as I've got here, the pop music bible in the mid to late 60s. Six months into their Pinocchio residency, Gary Sky booked the flies into Sydney, where they were arrested evidently for vagrancy for having long hair. Well, I thought, well, that was a pretty good publicity stunt, but it must have worked very well. Now, listeners to this segment might recall also that my story on Lynn Randell singing at a hairdresser's where she was employed as an apprentice and getting a contract via that particular singing engagement. Also in attendance that day, would you believe, were the flyers and they were doing a promotional shoot. So all these things seemed to come to gel together at some time. Price promptly signed her and she toured with the Flyers and supported the Rolling Stones and the big, the big O as in Roy Orbison on their first Aussie tour. The Flyers embarked on a national tour in May 1965 and recorded their second single, Doing the Mod, which became their signature tune and was a hit in Melbourne and Sydney. Their first song, Tell Her That, in 1964 was a local hit. After appearing regularly on the Standard Go show and also Commotion, Commotion, which was an offshoot where the local artists actually mined to overseas hit. And this is where Ronnie met Maggie Stewart, whom he married in 1970. And as I said before, they're still together. And Maggie, I hope if, if you do hear this, that I'm very happy to give you the plug. It's a terrific effort. And Melbourne was also a mimer on that particular show. Their third single, Can't You Feel, was released and it was a minor hit. In September 1965, however, Ronnie decided he's going to go solo. And from then to the early 70s, had a great deal of success, a fair bit of success recording 14 singles and uh, had a number of albums. I've just done four or five here, which I consider were his best ones, as are just my opinion. A 1967 a song called Coal Man, which was the sixth nationwide. There's actually five in, five in Melbourne and Sydney, eight in Brisbane and Adelaide. Now, that song was actually written by the BGs as was one of his other choices, which I've put in here, Exit Stage Right. And that was 23 nationwide. That was 12 in Melbourne, 15 in Sydney and Brisbane. The Age of Consent, which was 1968, it was 18 nationwide, and it was written by a fellow by the name Terry Britton, who was from The Twilights. And I think most of us know the 1969 song, which is one of probably one of his best-known songs, Smiley. That was two nationally. That was three in Melbourne, one in Sydney, three in Brisbane and ten in Adelaide. And that was a Johnny Young composition. I'll, I'll just give you a bit more information on that one in a couple of paragraphs, actually. Goset ran a pop poll for Best Male Singer, etc. for 1966. According to my information, Ronnie was second in 1966 behind Normie Rowe. He was first in 1967 and then from 1968 to 1971 ran third. And I'm presuming this was behind either Normie Rowe or Johnny Farnham in whatever order. Most of Ronnie's material in 1967 was written by the Bee Gees and appeared on his first solo album, which was called Ronnie. They were actually recorded by the Bee Gees in late 1966 and were meant for a planned album, which didn't eventuate, and were sent to Ronnie Burns' management, who was the same as the Bee Gees, and they decided that he would record the songs on, on his album. So that was quite a successful little move from him. Smiley, which I mentioned before, written by Johnny Young. It's about Normie Lowe, wasn't it? Quite correct. 
Yes, I got to. I got to get in with something. I know. You've stolen my thunder there. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you've actually heard of it because it's a terrific song. Yeah. Yeah, I've written it. It's written by Johnny Young and derived from actually two Australian movies, which is Smiley in 1956 and Smiley Gets a Gun 1958. Mm. I think that's probably where the name of the song comes from. I'm not understand. And sure. Colin Peterson was Smiley in the movies. That's right. And Ch- Chips. Chips Rafferty was actually in both of those. Yeah, I think he, Chips Rafferty was in every Australian movie back then. That's right. You're the guru. You're the, you're the first. You've probably seen those movies. I actually haven't. I know I know of them, though. I've read about them. Right. And the song, of course, is about the futility of war and its effects on individuals. And Young later said that the inspiration for the song, as you said before, came from Normie Rose's conscription. Johnny Young also wrote two, two other songs for Ronnie, which were The Prophet and If I Die, and they were uh, Ronnie's last two songs. An interesting little side uh, issue here, though, was that, and this has happened, we've seen this happen to quite a few artists, The Real Thing, which is a song we all know was a big hit for Russell Morris, was actually, uh, and it was written by Johnny Young, was actually intended for Ronnie Byrne. Oh, wow. But, yeah, but Molly Meldrum, uh, their friend Molly again, he heard Johnny Young playing it in the dressing room before a local show called Uptight. And he pulled out all stops for Russell Morris, who was his new protege, to record it. It was number one on the Go Set chart for 1969. Originally meant to go for only three minutes, but because of all the extra bits in the song, it ended up being nearly seven minutes. Yeah, I've heard about that. He wanted it to sound different to anything else, so it stands out, I think, yeah, that's, his logic. That's correct, John. You're yes. correct. That, yes. that is basically the reason why. And that's why we've got the big the big atom bomb explosion at the end and all that. Yes, yeah. Um, but it worked. It certainly did. It was a huge song. And, well, it's an opportunity gone begging there for Ronnie due to circumstances perhaps beyond his control. But there we go. Now, after a couple more albums which featured material from, from artists such as Gordon Lightfoot, Neil Diamond, Neil Sadaka and Andy Kim, and along with Ozzy's Brian Cad and the Bee Gees, Ronnie retreated from the pop scene, making a career on the club and cabaret circuit, as a lot of these people do, and regular appearances on TV variety shows. In the early 80s, he moved into interior design, but unfortunately the stock market's crashed, led to business collapse, and I don't think if that is actually true, but I'm sure that that was a story for so many people back in those days. Now, in 1996, he was involved with Daryl Cotton and Russell Morris, so they Obviously still quite friendly with Russell Morris after that, and I don't think they ever have a falling out about it. It was just one of those opportunistic things that happened. Now, they were known as Burns, Cotton and Morris, and they toured for several years releasing a self-titled album. He retired in 2000 with Master's Apprentice, Tim Keyes actually took his place in that trio. Just was sidetracking a little bit from Ronnie's musical career. He moved to Tasmania in the 90s, and he and his wife, set up an establishment called Appen Hall Children's Foundation in 2004. And this was a refuge for orphans of war and children with chronic illness. And he was actually awarded member of the Order of Australia with the citation, I quote, for significant service to the community, particularly to children recovering from illness and trauma and also to the entertainment industry. He's also a winner of a Mo Award in 2011. His daughter, Lauren, also won gold in the Cindy Olympics. Yeah, Taekwondo, wasn't it? That's correct, Josh. You're right yeah. on the ball there. So you do know a bit about Ronnie. I don't need to tell you anything. Yeah, you know, no, I remember that. that. Yeah, that was amazing. Quite an interesting story. He's also appeared in theatre production tours of 
weeks ago show in 2019. I went to one of these shows quite a while ago. I thought it was before 2019. They're quite good for us oldies who wanted to do a bit of reminiscing about us, mainly Australian and Victorian artists back in the 60s. And a wonderful story which I thought was quite it turned out to be amusing, but it probably is very scary at the time. Relating to a visit of my Ronnie to Barry Gibb in England, and he actually went down to Barry Gibb's gun room, and he was handed a Luger pistol as a hair trigger, so he just touched it. The gun actually went off, <laughs> and it parted Gibb's hair, actually missing his head by millimetres. God. So we we nearly lost we nearly lost Barry also wow. long before the the other two brothers. Wow, that's amazing. So, but, uh, lucky, yeah, yeah. lucky yeah. for all involved. I'm not sure about the the authenticity of that story, but I have think about it on a couple of occasions. So I have no reason to doubt that's not true. Uh, so that's basically Ronnie's story. Apart from the fact now he has been ill, and I, we hope, all hope that he's uh, going to be much better shortly. I just put his right, right up there with the best in his contribution to Australian music and also the community work. He was actually going to set up the Up and Hall thing, which is the Tasmania thing, which is actually he closed down in about 2017. Now, we're going to re-establish uh, here in Victoria in Tarelden, but it hasn't gone ahead because of Ronnie's ill health. So that's rather unfortunate. But I think a lot of work has been done for those people that I mentioned before. So that's very well done on his part. So, look, Josh, you know, I've mentioned four songs, and they're the ones I asked for. And I think we'll start off with Smiley, which is the best-known one. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great one and sad song, though. But here's Ronnie Burns and Smiley. And, yeah, fantastic song. And I've known about it for quite a few years, that one. It is a great song. Yeah, well, the other ones that I've chosen, these are my choices. Other people might have different opinions, but these are the ones I'm going for. Age of Consent, Exit Stage Right, and Coleman. Man. Thanks. Any any order you like for those, Josh, thanks. Yeah, but great musician, but seems like an even better person. Yeah, I would have loved to have had a conversation with Ronnie. That was un- wasn't able to happen, but Maggie sounded like a terrific person, and we sure as hell hope that Ronnie's going to be okay and will continue on and continue to do his good work in the community side of things anyway. Yeah. So certainly, certainly earned his place in our little segment, that's for sure, Josh. Yeah, no, thanks very much. You enjoyed it. And thanks to Maggie as well for getting back to you. Yeah, it was greatly appreciated. I must say, and all those people, the Australian artists that I've had to deal with and I've had been in contact with have all been very, very forthcoming and, and very helpful. So... As I say to everybody every week and to you, Josh, stay healthy and look forward to presenting another one next week. Yeah, take care, Steve, and thanks again. Thanks so much, and I look forward to talking to you next week. Okay, catch you later, mate. Thanks. See ya. You've been listening to a 1FM podcast.